Good morning, everyone. It's a privilege to be together. What an awesome time of worship to exalt the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Just a, a privilege to have this time and this liberty and this freedom on these days to come together and meet around the person of Him and celebrate Him and thank Him and praise Him. So I'm just in rapture. It's almost like we just could leave now. We've had enough already. But thank you for the wonderful opportunity to be with you this morning to share that brief video as well. And I just want to bring a few greetings and points from Emmaus Bible College before we get into Matthew chapter 19 and 20 for a few moments. And I know we go till 1 o'clock, right? <laughs> well, what makes Emmaus Bible College such a special place? And you saw a little bit of that. And there's, I know there's a, a few here that have personally experienced Emmaus. I know there's some who are parents of those who uh, have supported their, their kids at Emmaus. And for certain, for 100% certain, it's the people at Emmaus Bible College that make a difference. And I'm going to put a little plug and a promo in for you this week. So you have, uh, this week, you have Micah Tuttle coming to speak to you. Micah and Amy are graduates of Emmaus Bible College, and you just saw their son. They have two of their, their oldest boys, Javen and Cullen, have been students. And Micah has just a passion for the gospel. It's going to be great when you hear him. It's an infectious passion that was exhibited in his ministry in Peru and now in uh, the place that God has put him in California. But it's, it's people like that that just give me great joy to seek to continue the legacy of what goes on at Emmaus Bible College. And it's, it's Riley, who's a, a nursing manager in our local hospital, who has a biblical studies degree, a major, uh, as, long, as well as a major in nursing from our partner institution. And so two of my daughters graduated uh, with nursing degrees from Emmaus Bible College as well, Bible and theology at Emmaus and nursing through our partner institution. And uh, just as the uh, brother shared this morning, my daughter uh, worked a COVID wing. Uh, she, she just graduated this year. She's already tended to dying people. Uh, I just, I feel for her at her age at, to have those experiences already. But to also have within her um, what has been instilled, hopefully, we don't always know all that sticks and all that doesn't, but through the ministry and the work and the teaching of the Bible uh, at the college. Um, we're so privileged to see that playing out in the lives of our students as they go into ministry, as they go into camp work, as they go into full-time work in the local community. Uh, we, we have students who work in marketing, one of our programs that I, I enjoy a lot is our business management program, which I helped to start before I served in this role in the administration of the college. So we love the fact that students are prepared and grounded in the Word of God, and then they also have the opportunity to be prepared in other things. So there's three things that are most important to us, that Emmaus is a Christ-centered place. We aspire everything to do, as you saw from the young man there who's the soccer player, that Christ 
be reflected, the Lord Jesus Christ be reflected in everything that we do. And that includes our athletics, that includes our study of the Bible itself, it includes our student life, our dorm life. And do we do that perfectly? Probably not. But that's our aspiration. That's, that's the people that we hire to work and, and to join us in the ministry and the work of leading and teaching and serving are people that have a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ because we want that instilled in our students. Second, secondly is uncompromised biblical teaching. In a day and age in which things like biblical inerrancy, that word, has new meaning in some institutions, in some churches, in some communities, but we still believe in uh, the inerrancy of Scripture and the literal grammatical interpretation of the Bible. We believe in Genesis, in creation, in, in male and female, in a day of sexual identity confusion. Uh, we continue to teach our students uh, that these things are true, that the Word of God is valuable. So we seek not to bend to the popular culture of our day, but to stand firm and true in what, uh, what the Bible teaches. So, and then finally, and I alluded to it thirdly, the valuable professional degrees that we've been able to add. Um, it does not in any way diminish our passion to teach the Bible. We are Emmaus Bible College, and we want our students to have the Old Testament, the New Testament, the theologies, uh, the old uh, classical languages of the Bible are available to them as electives as well. But the Bible curriculum is central to every student's studies at, uh, at Emmaus. So while a liberal Christian arts university, of which there are many fine ones, uh, might have a few Bible courses and a lot of biblical integration, uh, we definitely have a large segment, enough so that it's part of a major uh, of Bible and theology. And, and that is our passion. That is what we love. So I ask you to uh, pray. I thank this local church community for your support as well that we receive on a regular basis through the offerings that are received here. We uh, receive regularly uh, as many other historical local partners of Emmaus Bible College around the country. You stand with so many in providing much of the support that is needed to help operate the college. So we're very grateful for that. And now uh, I'd just like to pray and then we'll turn to uh, the book of Matthew and spend some time in the Word. We've got about 30 minutes. So our Heavenly Father, we praise You and we rejoice in the salvation that You have prepared for us and provided for us. We rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You that we could be together this morning and to remember Him, to exalt and honor Him, to worship Him in our words, in our hearts, in music, in prayer. So we pray now that for a few moments as we open your word that you would bless this reading of your word as well. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I come not to you with the credentials of a Dr. Smith who has been here many many times in years past. He's he's in glory now. We miss him. We miss his him and his wife Martha and their, their ministry, their presence, their service. And I, I feel like large shoes to fill when I think of the history of what uh, God has provided. But I do bring you greetings from those who continue to serve there. And let's turn to Matthew chapter 19. And I want to read from 
verse 27, through the first parable in chapter 20. Matthew 19, verse 27. Then Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you have followed me, you who have followed me, in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for Nidarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the market place. And he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever's right, I'll give you. And so they went. And again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you go in the vineyard too. So when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them received a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what's yours and go. But if I wish to give to this last man the same as you, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first, and the first last. So we call this in, in the brochure the logic of the kingdom of heaven. Maybe there's some of us are more logical brain wired. Uh, others are more artistic and free flowing, and things come. I I guess perhaps with my Original education in um, engineering. I'm probably more of the logical kind, and you you think about what makes sense, and you look at facts, and you look at data, and you try to interpret that. But it's clear that the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels presents us with many challenges to what we would call logic, to what we would think of as conventional thinking and conventional actions. So if we step back for a moment and, and pan out and think about the Gospel of Matthew as a book, the opening lines of the Gospel set forth the, the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ through David, the King. So Jesus is presented to us as an heir to the kingdom. The wise men early in the Gospel of Matthew, referred to him as he who has been born king of the Jews. 
So again, his, his kingdom authority is presented and it's placed through the Gospel of Matthew all the way to the very end where his sovereign ruling authority is on display, where at the very end he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven upon earth. And then goes on to say, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. But So the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ as the king, uh, he, he was born a king, he is a rejected king today, but he will be the king, he will rule, he rules from heaven today, and he has authority now, even though he's rejected, and even though he's not acknowledged as the king, but he has all authority, it has been given to him. But he chooses not yet to fully exercise it and to implement that authority. So it is uh, no mean statement to think about Jesus as the one who is a divine ruler who is going to bring about justice on this earth and peace. Two things that are greatly lacking every day when we look around and consider the, the plight of mankind and world and society and government and all that's going on. Justice and peace. We look forward to that. So the rules of the kingdom are proclaimed starting with um, the, the well-known Sermon on the Mount. Where the Lord Jesus repeatedly, over and over again, he uses the phrase, You've heard that it was said of old, but I say to you. So there comes some of the new logic. You've heard... What it was said of old, but I say to you. So these are the new and reverse logics that Jesus starts to bring. He's constantly challenging our motives, the heart of mankind. It's not just what you do, but your underlying mindset. So observing this passage in the book of Matthew, we also see the use of the terms the, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. They appear seemingly interchangeably in, in many places, but uh, only the book of Matthew uses the term the kingdom of heaven. And uh, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven are expounded in, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. So many students of the Bible have said there is no difference between the two. That may be so. Um, but it, it's possible, given that this is only in Matthew and it appears in some of these parables, that the kingdom of heaven may include many who claim to follow Christ, who outwardly appear to be un, upstanding believers, but maybe in fact don't really belong to him. Note the prior passage just before, which is uh, obviously a lead in the rich young ruler, the rich young man. We were told in uh, verse 23, we didn't read that far back, Truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then in 24, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So, perhaps a rich man could sneak their way into the kingdom of heaven and look like an upstanding believer. But verse 24 makes it very clear. There's 
As far as I understand, verse 24, there's no eye of a needle where the camels kneel down. This is, Jesus is literally saying, it's harder for a rich man. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. An eye of a needle. Not some euphemism for an eye of a needle or some illustration. In other words, it's impossible. But with God, all things are impossible. Who then can be saved, right? But with God, all things are impossible. So God can save the rich, the poor. He can save each one who comes to him. But there are some, like this rich young man, perhaps who tried to sneak into the kingdom of heaven and think, like, what could I do? I'd like to look good. I'd like to be part of it. And Jesus says, no, there's another logic. The Lord's discourse is uh, contrasted to treasures in heaven. Which, which leads to Peter's question in the first verse that was read, verse 27, as um, he says, Lord, we've left everything and followed you. What will there then be for us? So Lord had presented to the rich man this possibility. You know, you just give everything up and come and follow me. That's a good start. That doesn't bring you into my kingdom, but it's a good start. But Peter says, basically, he says, Lord, we've already done that. Perhaps in Peter's heart, uh, a little jealousy. I mean, this rich man was just free to go. You want to follow me or you want your riches? Feel free to go and be rich. And Peter's like, Lord, we've already given everything up. Uh, what about us? We've come through for you, Lord Jesus. And the disciples perhaps were wondering, what will we get in return? So Jesus explains in verse 28 and 29 that the rewards that he will give them are by grace. Jesus is gracious. He did not immediately rebuke Peter at this point. Uh, the rewards for the 12 in, in this day of renewal, as well as for all believers, are going to far surpass anything that we could imagine. For the disciples, the apostles, there are these 12 thrones, but whatever those rewards will be for us, uh, it's not a fair reward. This will lead us into chapter 20. The rewards that we might receive are in no way commensurate to the labor that we may have done because they're far greater. They're unexplainable. You can't negotiate with God for reward. That's the lesson that I see the Lord Jesus presenting here. Uh, he extends a promise of rewards here in verse 20 to all who have made sacrifices to follow him. Whether you've left your farm, whether you've left your kids, whatever it is you've left, these, these verses were uh, precious to me. I mean, I, I left nothing. I made no sacrifices. But I had a job in the chemical industry, and God called us to work at Emmaus Bible College. And we left a few kids behind in the East Coast when we moved to come to the Midwest farm country. <laughs> we went to the farm, not we left the farm. Uh, and we were, you know, we, we had some hesitations and concerns. And, um, and we were just wondering, what will this be like? It's a different culture, and it's far from uh, where, we've, where we've lived, where we spent 30 years. And, um, 
and the, the Lord has been uh, faithful and, and helped and blessed and seen us on the way. And um, so, you know, we left little. But nevertheless, in, in the transitions we make in life, it's still stressful, stressful as we see what is the Lord calling me to do? What is the Lord calling you to do? And whatever that might be, um, it might be a small thing that you have to leave behind uh, to others, but to you, the Lord might be calling you to leave something, and it's what He's calling you to do, not what He's calling others to do, not the great sacrifices that others have made. The Lord Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for us. So there may be some small area in which God is calling you personally to, to set something aside or to move on. Our, our passion camp and, and other work in our part-time over the, the years when our kids were growing up just led us to really uh, wonder at what we saw at Emmaus when our own son first went there for a year and just got us really thinking about maybe it's a place where, where we could serve and work and um, where God could use us for his glory and his honor. And so I encourage you, if there's something God is calling you to do, and if you want to come and join us uh, at Emmaus, there's many times there's work to be done there too. But God may be calling you to Peru. He may be calling you to work in another country or in this country, in a mission. So know that God will keep you. He will help you. And um, we were in a Bible study this morning uh, with uh, a few of us in the back room and uh, Alistair Beggs, Study and it was impressive too that uh, there was a letter about a person in jail who was saved, and the point of salvation was just the start of his troubles and trials. Yes, it seems backwards, but uh, the troubles that this man that was presented that he obviously had as an unbeliever were sin, uh, resulted in in prison, but the troubles he had as a believer were were a pathway to glory, were a pathway. To, um, were as a result of his coming to know the Lord and did not wipe out all his difficulties and trials and uh, challenges in his life. So when we follow the Lord, it doesn't necessarily mean that whatever troubles we have will become zero and everything will be perfect and we'll be on a, a wonderful upward path. We will be, but that path is the path to heaven uh, that the Apostle Paul experienced through suffering and, and many others. So anyway, on to... On to uh, chapter 20, and uh, we don't know what happened to this rich young man. Uh, he went away. Uh, in the book of Acts, early, uh, there was a great revival. There were many people who came to the Lord. Is it, is it possible that this rich young man, having seen the events of the cross unfold, that he came to Christ at that point and joined the church and gave up his riches uh, Eternally only will we'll tell uh, whether he made that decision and the decisions each one of us make. So as we go on into chapter 20 then for, for um, a few moments, and um, the passage is said to be an illustration because it starts with the word for. So as we think about the rich young ruler, the rich young man, and we think about Peter's question, and the Lord Jesus talking about rewards. Now the Lord provides us a parable, an illustration. He's going to tell us a little story about how the kingdom really works. And for the kingdom of heaven is like the following story. So the passage 
it's an it's an uncomplicated uh, it's an uncomplicated story that Jesus tells. It isn't loaded with uh, theology. There's no Old Testament quotations to interpret or to debate or dispute. Uh, there's no there's no miracle that takes place in this passage that we could wonder at the person of the Lord and 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 his actions. There's no uh, complicated theological expressions. It's just a story of a landowner and uh, with a twist to it. And uh, as I read one commentary as I was preparing, uh, it, was, it was said, it's like a day in the life of the kingdom of God. It's a very simple story that unfolds. And uh, based on the prior review of some of the passages, we can observe perhaps that in this parable, there are some who accept the grace of God and some who resist. Some who are willing to be subject to him and others not so much, not so much. So one of the questions presented for us to think about in the end of chapter 19, the last verse, and in the end of this passage is uh, the, the concept of the first and the last. Who are the first? Who are the last? What does it mean? And what will be the rewards for those who give up everything and follow the Lord Jesus? So as we look at this passage, this chronology in this passage, uh, the, the story emphasizes the times of the day in which people were um, going out into the field to work. The landowner hired people early. And it says about the first group that verse 2, it says, when he had agreed... With the laborers. He had agreed with the laborers. So it appears that these early laborers perhaps were negotiators because an agreement usually means you come to terms, right? You're, you know, they always, you see every day in the, on, the, on the news feed, you know, they're making deals in the Senate or in the government and they got a deal, they got a deal. What do they mean? Well, they were, they were not together. But they came to a point of, okay, we can, move, we can now act because we have an agreement. So it's the only ones of the laborers hired in which it's mentioned that there's an agreement. He agreed with them to pay them a denarius. Perhaps they wanted two denarii. Perhaps they wanted who knows what. Perhaps they wanted working conditions. Maybe they had a union that said, we want umbrellas for the heat of the day. And the landowner said, no, not doing that, but you'll have a denarius. Maybe he started with half a denarius and upped, his, upped his, uh, his offer in order to get them into the field. But it says the owner agreed. And so then he went out again at 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, at 5 o'clock. It uses, um, you know, hours of, of the day, uh, the 11th hour. You know, nobody ever says the 23rd hour, do they? We don't use that. So anyway, the uh, 11th hour. And he asked others if they would like to come and work, but he did not indicate to them what they would be paid. He didn't say exactly how much. He just said, I'll pay you, that it would be fair. Verse, uh, verse, verse 4, whatever is right, I will give you. So who, who was going to decide who was right? Well, you know that... If you're a negotiator, and perhaps you've done some of that, after you implement, it's too late. 
you know, you're at the mercy of whatever, you know, you've done your action. You put your work in uh, to go back and try to renegotiate after the case. So they went out and they, they worked just not really knowing what they would get. Perhaps they overheard the others who went out and what they were being paid. Uh, I'm not sure up front that the negotiations that took place in the first group were, you know, were done in the public square. Um, but they went out and at the, uh, at the mercy of the landowner because they needed work. They, they, were, they recognized their poverty uh, all the way to the last group where he said, what are you doing? And they said, well, no one, you know, no one needed us today, so that's why we're here. Well, get to work. I got work for you. So they were really recognizing their need, their poverty, and they were at the mercy of someone who came and offered them something as opposed to those who negotiated at the beginning. So at the end of the day, the landowner started with the last. You know, this probably plays into the first shall be last, the last shall be first. That is, in verse 16, uh, it's presented in different order in, in different verses here, but verse 16 at the end of this passage, so the last shall be first. And that's exactly what happened. At the end of the day, he started with the last group. He gave them one denarii in full view. It's almost like there was a little method to the logic of this landowner. Yeah, he, he, you know, he could have done it secretly. He could have said, hey, you guys come over here. Let me give you your denarii. Let me give you your pay for the day. But I don't want to offend the other people, so I'm just going to do it on the side. But no, in, in, in view of the others, apparently, he gave each of them their pay, one denarius, regardless of whether they had worked one hour or 12 hours. And so those hired first complained, accused the owner of being unfair, but the owner justifies his action based on, number one, you agreed to work for a denarius. So you agreed. I mean, I don't need to change that agreement. You wanted to negotiate, you got what you negotiated. Number two, on the basis of his ownership, can't I do what I want with what is mine? That is the landowner, recognizing the property rights that he had and the rights of a master, the rights of a business owner to make the judgment, to make the call. Can't I do what I want with my own? That's ownership. And then thirdly, on the basis of generosity, can't I be gracious to whom I want to be gracious? So this landowner, as opposed to maybe some of the business people I work for, and I hope I'm not like this person myself, but, you know, Dick and I were having dinner last night with some folks, and we were reflecting on some of the people we worked for over the years. It was some tough people we worked for. <laughs> they demanded a lot. Sometimes they demanded the impossible. And didn't always see the grace side. Occasionally it came through. But here, on the basis of generosity... Can't I be generous to whom I want to be generous? Can't I be gracious to whom I want to be gracious? And you know where this is going. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, our gracious master. Yes, he is and can be a hard taskmaster to those who resist him. And he will come in judgment for those who reject him. And yet, hasn't he been gracious to those of us in this room? If you've trusted him and if your eyes have been opened to his grace and if you see that your eyes were opened by him, not by you, if you see that without him you would still be out there uh, laboring unfruitfully and walking in your sin, that it's his grace that has brought us into the sphere of his influence, of his generosity. It's his grace. So, we're, we're thankful for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what can we conclude about this passage then? If you want more than you contract for, don't negotiate with God. God is gracious. He's already shown us His grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. As believers, let's not go down a path of, of legalism versus grace. You want, you want legalism? God will negotiate with you, but you'll be standing by and seeing others getting much more grace, getting much more of His generosity, uh, having uh, an even greater taste of, of His kingdom. Jesus ends... This passage again with, uh, to state it again with that passage, with that verse, so the last shall be first. Which means if you're striving to be first, if you're striving for position, even within the, the kingdom of God, even within this local church community, even within the ministry where God has placed you, even within your family, if you're striving and seeking and wanting to have that recognition and be that person that others look up to and say, man, that's the guy I'd like to follow. If you're negotiating for that, so to speak, with God, or you're elbowing your way into that, that's not the way of the kingdom of God. That's not the logic that God has given us. He says, the point is that we're to serve him faithfully as he calls us out of, you know, the marketplace, as he calls us out of standing idly by and being unfruitful and waiting, and he's called us and and shown us himself and given us, uh, shown us his mercy and given us a place of ministry or service in whatever sphere that is. Let him worry about the reward. Just serve faithfully. And also, you know, other than those who came first, there were those who served, you know, from 9 o'clock and those who served from only 5 o'clock. So even within the kingdom of God, within those who are graciously called to serve. Yeah, there are some that go through much harder times and bear the heat of the day much longer. We, we didn't see in this story that the 10 o'clock, the 9 o'clock crew were complaining about one another. It was only that first crew, the negotiators. So God will bring you into his work, his ministry in some form. Um, and some will have a harder road than others. And... Um, we pray for one another, but that's God's program. Whether someone comes in late, we might be like, we might sometimes be like Peter as well and have a little jealousy, you know. Lord, I've been faithful to you my whole life. And now how come you've given me these disappointments uh, later in my life? How come you've given me these 
challenges with my family or with my kids or with my parents or with my health. And um, Lord, how come that person who's serving you seems to have it easy and their life is on cruise control? And, you know, I don't have answers for that. Uh, The answers are that the Lord is gracious and he's moving us towards his kingdom and his glory and uh, toward being with him in heaven. And he's coming back to make things right on earth. Uh, But there, there will be differences. There will be differences of service. There will be differences of emphasis in each of our lives. And our focus should be on Him, on our relationship with Him, our service for Him, and the place that He's called each one of us individually to be, not on what others are doing. So God is just, and we can be confident that He will treat each of us fairly. So may the Lord uh, add His blessing to this passage, to the Word, and uh, may He inspire each of us to be faithful to Him in the field where he's placed us. So let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, your great mercy. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your calling, that your gifts and our calling are without repentance, are irrevocable as you call us into fellowship with your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are just blessed and thankful for that. And that's already enough. And if you give us the privilege to serve in some way, uh, Lord, help us to be faithful in our service and not complaining of one another. We thank you and pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.